In our household, I tend to be the one that does uh, much of the Christmas shopping, especially for the children, and uh, most of the wrapping, <coughs> especially for the children. And uh, while we didn't, we didn't teach our children that Santa Claus is a real thing, uh, I, when I, when I uh, wrap a package, I use a two-from, you know, the two-froms. And I will say to a child's name, from Santa. And, of course, they know that's from us. Uh, in, in a lot of ways. It's just sort of a tradition that we've held out this year, and uh, that usually works pretty well. They go under the tree. It seems like it's sort of a general pool of gifts, so they come from Santa. I was, though, however, watching kind of a scary movie while I was wrapping presents a few weeks ago and inadvertently said, to Meg from Satan. Uh, so, yeah, I think I did that a couple of times, so I had to change the two froms on there. Well, what we have today is something of, uh, as one commentator points out, a two-from from God, a two-from from God himself. The angels announced to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I look forward to unpacking this marvelous, this favorite of verses uh, and the Christmas story this morning as we look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 as the shepherds go to Bethlehem. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do turn to you in faith. Lord, we thank you, God, for Luke's faithfulness to historical account. Lord, and our minds go back some 2,000 years when Luke had opportunity to be with Paul there in Jerusalem or maybe when he was in Ephesus and he visited with Jesus' mother. And met with her and got the details that he only provides about the coming of the angel. The coming of uh, the angel to Mary. Uh, the coming of the angel to uh, Zechariah. And the birth of John the Baptist. And then this sweet, sweet, sweet account of the angel choir appearing before those impoverished shepherds in the night. So that there would be testimony of the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Bless us as we look at this very familiar verse and let it be all new and wonderful all over again. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please do turn to Luke in chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Uh, and we're going to look here at uh, two portions from this passage. We're going to see the glory to God in the highest, the angel song, the glory in excess is Ao, uh, verses 8 through 14, and then glory to God from the lowest, in verses 15 through 21. So first of all, glory to God in the highest, verses 8 through 14. God says, Luke writes, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. 
So again, we, are, we pick up on the birth narrative of Jesus in the first seven verses of Luke here. Well, now we come up to the witness of this, uh, of this amazing, miraculous birth. And, and uh, Luke, again, a wonderful historian that he is, he gives us a marker here in that same region. He's telling us a location here. Uh, uh, Bethlehem is six miles south of Jerusalem. In a sense, it's a suburb of Jerusalem here. It was David's hometown, also called the city of David here. And one of the wonderful things about it is, is this is this is one of those prophecies that people tend to not look at as much. There's not many Christmas cards on this one. But you go all the way back to Jeremiah, who wrote 500 years before this. And Jeremiah 33, 13 through 17, Jeremiah says this through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the environs of Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, the flocks will again pass under the hands of the one who numbers them says the Lord. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. Well, I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. These shepherds probably were aware of this prophecy. It meant a lot to them that there was a prophecy about the area that they lived in. And they are actually witnessing the fulfillment of this. A righteous branch has come from David and his throne will exist forever. Shepherds, of course, to give you a little bit of a commentary. Well, I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't know many shepherds. Well, Alan Woody's sort of a shepherd. I guess he has pet sheep. Uh, I don't know if that counts or not. But uh, I don't know many shepherds. But back then, of course, it was a, 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 a very common occupation. It was, in a sense, a sheep culture. But the interesting thing about shepherds is they were, uh, they were despised by most people. They had sort of a religious stigma set against them because sheep need constant care. They're always out there caring for them, and they're always out there dealing with their filth and their problems and their bleeding and that kind of thing. And therefore, they, became, they couldn't keep the Sabbath laws. They couldn't keep some of the ceremonial laws. So they were sort of continually considered perpetually unclean. They were looked down upon at the time. They were actually just above the level of leper to give you a sense of here they are. So as one commentator says, with the exception of lepers, they were the lowest class of men in Israel. Yet these were the men God wanted to hear the gospel. Working class sinners like everything else about the birth of Christ, this upsets our expectations. We tend to think that God is for the good people when, in fact, he is for needy sinners who are desperate for grace. Folks, we are shepherds. Shepherds. We're actually lepers. We are in need of God's grace, God's forgiveness. It's amazing to me how people look at the church and they think we think we're better than everybody else. No, actually, we've just realized we're worse than everybody else. We're not getting to heaven because we're pretty, because we're good. We're getting to heaven because God is good. And the shepherds didn't have to overcome this hurdle of human pride. And this also fits within Luke's theme that we're going to see here for the next couple of years here as we go through this precious gospel. He's constantly highlighting Jesus' interaction with the poor people, with sick people, with women with the disenfranchised, the disowned, the despised, those living on the fringe of the culture. 
uh, as with as with the shepherds here, the, it is the poor that are the ones that were to come to Christ. They're the ones who need a, a savior. And if you don't recognize that about yourself, you're not going to feel like you need a savior and you're not going to get saved. If you think you're good enough to get into heaven, you're lost. That's really the message here. This good news that comes to the angels here. Uh, it, it's interesting. It, it, the, the poorest person on the planet and it's even hard for us to get our minds around unless you've been to a third world country to see just how impoverished people can be. But the poorest person on the planet, if they're saved, they have more than the greatest riches of any man who is not saved. And they will not remember their poverty once they get into heaven. They will be they will be walking on streets of of gold. It's interesting. Back in our uh, seminary days, we spent about five years uh, officially impoverished. We qualified for probably every government program that was out there. We were considered poor people uh, during, uh, when I worked for CIU and then during the time of full-time uh, seminary. And I remember there was one time around the table when the children were little. And, and, you know, we had this financial discussions, which we probably shouldn't have in front of the children, but, you know, four children, small house. Uh, so we're talking about that. And I think I made a comment that I wish we could do that. We just can't afford it. And little Meg chirps up and says, that's okay. We're rich with the God gospel. I'm not sure where the God gospel is, but, you know, but but it was but she was right. It's all going to be OK. You're rich with the gospel. <clears throat> Another thing about this, the interesting thing about the shepherds here, they're near the fields of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, of course, is near the Jerusalem temple. And uh, they would have been looking after those sheep all year round in order to be able to provide the sheep for the temple sacrifice. So how fitting it is that uh, that the Lamb of God, the, vo the news of the Lamb of God to come would come to these shepherds who've been looking over the lambs that were to be sacrificed to God. This angel is not named. It's probably Gabriel. I don't know why he's not named, but it's probably the same angel, Gabriel, who appeared to Zechariah and to Mary. And then it says here, the glory of God shone around him. This is the Shekinah glory. Whenever there's a theophany, when an appearance, a visible manifestation of God, there's this glory, there's this shine. I think one of the best examples is Paul on the road to Damascus. Remember, it was in the middle of the day, but the light of the glory was what blinded him, not, not the sun. And of course, when you see that kind of glory, you are terrified. You fall to your knees. You think there's a visitation here by God. This is unnatural. It's against nature itself. This is a miraculous showing here. And of course, this is in the middle of the night. The only fire they had was perhaps a campfire. And the angel of the multitude shows up here. And, of course, these angels, they would have known Jesus as the Son of God. Now, they wouldn't have met Jesus, the, the, the child yet, the human nature, Jesus. But they would have known the divine nature from the beginning, uh, ever since they were created here. Uh, and and, and uh, they, they, the angel uh, sings this, the angels sing this amazing song here. Glory to God in the highest William Barclay points out that it was the custom of time for local musicians to come to the home of a newborn child to play a simple tune. And this did not happen for the traveling couple and the baby in the manger. So God provided a choir of angels. That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? We don't actually know if there was a little drummer boy. Any of us who've ever had a baby would certainly hope there was not a little drummer boy. Uh, but, but that was the custom at the time for musicians to go play quietly to kind of celebrate the coming. Well, no one cared about it. Uh, Joseph and Mary. No one even cared enough to even give them a couch. They had to be born in kind of in a stable, right? And yet God cared. He sent an angel choir. How much more beautiful is that than any choir that man could ever come with? 
But I love how the angel says this. I give you good news. There's our word, euangelion, uh, the good news. This is one of Luke's favorite times. He used it more than any other uh, New Testament writer. And I think part of it is because Luke was a Greek. He didn't inherit all of the, the temple sacrifices. He didn't inherit the law. He didn't memorize the Pentateuch. He didn't sing the Psalms as a child. His family probably worshipped Zeus, probably worshipped Athena, probably worshipped Mars. So I think there was a certain gratitude about an outsider being brought into these amazing covenant promises here. So he just talks about this good news constantly. And of course, he's also making reference to Isaiah 61 here. The spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedoms to the prisoners. And I love how it's an angel that announces this. I mean, normally he depends on you by the way, to, to give this good news, to evangelize, to tell people about the gospel. But in this case, he uses an angel. And I think theologically, that's significant. What was one of the scenes we saw an angel appearing to people in the Old Testament? Was it not when the angel barred the way to paradise? That kept Adam and Eve from being able to go back into paradise? And now... Maybe even those same angels or that same angel is now opening up the door and saying, good news. Paradise is open to man again, O son of Adam, O daughter of Eve. John 14 tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And now that me has been born in Bethlehem. And this is for all the people. Now, technically, that's, a, that's a, in the time, all, the people was considered, uh, was actually the def, defined by the people of, uh, of Israel, the Jews at the time. Uh, so in a sense, uh, it, though that this is for all people in a sense that even the shepherds are being chosen here. And of course, Luke makes a lot about the salvation of Gentiles to come. So it really is for all those who are going to be chosen in the Lord. And he says, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, you know, this is that part that Linus leaves out. And the, <laughs> he's like, he kind of cut the verse short here uh, and when, when, he's, uh, when he's saying there at the school back before the droopy Christmas tree. Y'all seen it. Uh, but he says, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, that does not mean the well-behaved men and women. They're going to have peace. They have earned God's favor. We know that's not what Scripture teaches Paul says in Ephesians 2 uh, that salvation is not a result of works that no one can boast. It's a result, of course, of grace. But literally, the Greek reads men of his good pleasure. In other words, it's men with whom God's will or favor rests. In other words, it's grace. It's grace. There are particular men, particular women that are part of mankind where God's grace is bestowed on them. They are the ones who receive peace. Now, folks, until you accept that grace, you're not going to have peace. You're going to be part of the captives and the train of the devil, not part of those who've been captured by Christ's love. So to have that peace, you need to experience that grace. Now, how do you know if you get that grace? Well, you will know by responding in obedience. You'll know by responding in faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. <clears throat> and then, of course, who is this person? He is Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Uh, you, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. This is what pe sinners need. They need a Savior. 
Why? Isaiah 53, for all of us like sheep have gone away. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was the savior of the world. He came to seek that was lost. And then he came to forgive the people of their sins to save them from. from you, know who the, you know who he's saving you from? God. It's the wrath of God goes against sin. And, and so in a sense, he's saving them, you from the wrath of his very father. Notice with this too. That he doesn't say his name's Jesus. Now we know his name's Jesus. We've been told that already by Gabriel. But he doesn't say his name. He says he is the savior. Christ the Lord. He uses titles here. And of course Jesus means Lord of salvation. So it sort of wraps all those things up here. And he is Christ here. That of course is the Greek word for the uh, Jewish Messiah. Which means anointed one. Jesus Christ is the only person who's ever lived who fulfills all three anointed offices, prophet, priest, and king. He's our prophet in that he's the word of God and he brings us the word of God. He's our priest and then he intercedes for us and he died as a sacrifice. He's our king because he is over all. He is Lord and he is our Lord. One commentator says this, because this emphasis is on sin here and the forgiveness of sins. One commentator says, too often Jesus is presented as the one who will rescue people from unfulfillment in their marriages, families, or jobs. From a debilitating habit they cannot overcome on their own. Or from a sense of purposelessness in their life. But while relief in those areas may be a byproduct of salvation, it is not its primary intent. Mankind's true problem of which those issues are only symptoms is sin. Everyone is guilty of breaking God's holy law and deserves eternal punishment in hell. The true gospel message is that Jesus Christ came into the world to rescue people from sin and guilt. This is why it's so important to, to, to emphasize this issue of sin. There may be other reasons why you would come to the Lord. But it's primarily it's because he is a savior. He, he, he's, not for, he's not here to give you your best life now. Uh, uh, and uh, in Colombia, there were several churches that were called deliverance temples. That was like, if you've got an addiction problem, you, come, you turn to the Lord and he'll get rid of your addiction problem. He may, in fact, do that. But it's, but it's not until you recognize that you're a sinner and you're in need of grace. Then you have the Holy Spirit. And then you may have some strength and you will have strength. But let me, ask, let me ask you Christians, do you become perfect once you become a Christian? No. <laughs> no. Do you still deal with depression, discouragement, being overwhelmed, anxiety? Yes. So if you if you come into the kingdom. In order just to get over rid of your anxiety, I'm just telling you, folks, you're going to be disappointed. Oh, but if you come into the kingdom to have your sins forgiven and fall in love with the Savior, I think you'll see profound influence upon your anxiety as well. And I give you an illustration here. These shepherds, these wonderful shepherds who were the first to be told about the coming of Christ, who are going to be the witnesses uh, they went back and you know what? They probably died poor shepherds. They probably died still, still disenfranchised, still rejected, still broke, having to watch sheep. How do you stay awake when you're counting sheep at night? They, they, nothing changed. They didn't get all the promises that these prosperity theology gave them. They came as shepherds. They died as shepherds, but they came as sinners and they died as saints. They died as saints. Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
It all has to do with the faith and believing what Luke is telling you is true. And then he says, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In other words, don't look for him in a palace. I know I've just said he's Lord, but don't be going up to, to, to Herod's place. He ain't any, got nothing to do with Herod. Herod's part of a different kingdom. This is what you're going to be. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a feeding trough, which, as we looked at last week, might have been just something scraped out of the dirt just to keep the baby from rolling from side to side. That's the sign for you. Now, how much, if you are an impoverished, disenfranchised, dirty shepherd, how much would it mean to you that this baby's going to look like one of your babies? You're, he's going to be so poor, they can't even afford a nice little baby blanket and stuff. They're going to wrap them in cloths. You see, most of the world can really resonate with that. That's sort of strange to us. And then, of course, you have this, this wonderful appearance of the angelic choir, the angelic multitude. And suddenly there appeared an angel and multitude. Multitude is probably millions. What would a million angels look like? A million angels with the Shekinah glory. And they, they, they sang out in the Latin, Gloria in excelsis Deo. This angel choir was the first Christmas carol to ever be sung. So now we look here, glory to God from the lowest in verses 15 through 21. Then the angels had gone straight away from them into heaven. And the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement and been told them by the, about the child. And all who heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. So basically, when, when the gospel's ever believed, it's going to produce action. That's one way you know whether or not you're a Christian. Now, it starts with an action of you saying a, a, a prayer in faith and everything. But, you know, we're, we're a little slow to, to, to label that, that term Christian upon people in, in, our, in our circles, in our traditions. You know, when someone makes a profession of faith, we, we, that's wonderful. You need to be baptized. You need to be part of the church. You need to come in. You need to get discipled. You need to learn now. You're starting off on a new journey and everything. But it may be several weeks, if not even months, before we actually think, you know, I think that person really is saved. That person really is saved. Uh, and and so, so basically, you've got to look for some action here. You've got to look for some steps of faith here. The angel didn't command them to go see this thing. They wanted to. That's also part of the evidence of Christianity. There's a desire to worship, a desire to find more, a hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So they can say, let us go straight to, to Bethlehem. Of course, this implies some distance here. It also implies, again, like I said, action. So they came in a hurry. They, I mean, they were in a hurry. They were rushing. I don't know who took care of the sheep. Uh, when you hate to have drawn that straw, <laughs> you know, I'll stay here and watch the sheep while you go see God. Um, so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby. Of course, the traditional site is of the shepherd's field. It's about two miles south of Bethlehem. You actually can go there. It's one of those places they think is, uh, is probably uh, pretty accurate. And uh, there's a lot of limestone in that area. So they, cave, they carved out caves. And they would often keep the sheep at night inside of a cave. And you can stand in that cave 
and, uh, and actually look out over Bethlehem and in all of its tall apartment buildings, which is a little bit of a bummer. I was sort of expecting this kind of, you know, pastoral scene there, you know, and there's beep, 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 you know, airplanes flying over. It's kind of, but anyway, you got to close your eyes, but you're in the cave, right? All right, so they, they, so they, they went there, they, they, they traveled the two miles at night there, they go to find the baby. They believed what the angel said. And what do they do? They found the baby lying in a manger just as the angel said. The venerable bee, the, the father of British history, in the 7th or 8th century said this, It should be carefully noted that the sign given of the Savior's birth is not a child enfolded in Tyrian purple. Tyrian is from Tyre, the sound of Tyre. Tyrian purple, but one wrapped around with rough pieces of cloth. He is not to be found in an ornate golden bed, but in a manger. The meaning of this is that he did not merely take upon himself our lowly mortality, but for our sakes he took upon himself the clothing of the poor. How meaningful is this text to those, angel, uh, to those uh, shepherds, but also to us. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement. They risked ridicule. But what you have here is the very first evangelist of the church of Jesus Christ. They made known the statement. They shared the good news. I mean, you can imagine them walking into the village and saying, Hey, listen, have y'all seen a baby sitting in a feeding trough? A million angels just told us about it and sang us this song and we're here. I mean, just think what that, that would have been like. But Bethlehem wasn't that big. Uh, Mary, uh, uh, Joseph and Mary were staying in, in something of a public place. They would have noticed a pregnant girl coming in. They would have made some assumptions. People probably knew what was going on, gossip on the street and that kind of thing. So they're making this statement known to people. And then they find Mary and Joseph. Now, think about Mary and Joseph. They've been through a lot. How encouraging would it be? If all of a sudden these angels come and they bow down to your baby and they said, the angels told us of this moment and that we would find the Christ. You know, your baby is Lord. He is the righteous branch born in the environs of Jerusalem who is going to be seated on David's throne forever and ever. They didn't have all of Paul's theology. They just operated on what the angels told them. Just imagine Mary and Joseph. That would help with postpartum depression, wouldn't it? What an encouragement. So you see five aspects of salvation here. So first of all, God's word is revealed. The angels gave God word, God's word. You will not become a Christian unless you receive God's word. God's word is believed. That's the second thing. This thing has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They actually believed what the Lord said, what the angel said. Uh, this word is acted upon. Let's go straight to Bethlehem. So they came in a hurry. The word results in worship. The shepherds went back glorifying God. They worshiped there, but they worshiped for the rest of their lives. One commentary says the ultimate purpose of the good news of salvation is to save sinners so they can join the angels in glorifying God. I remember one uh, time back when I was in seminary 25 years ago, there was a chapel speaker and the school, school I went to was the number one producer of missionaries in America or maybe the world. So big missions emphasis. And this missionary got up there and he said, you know, the purpose of missions is everybody's like, what, what, what? That's why we're here. You know, we're spending a lot of money to figure this out. What is he says to get people to worship correctly. And you can kind of hear the groans. Oh, well, no, it's to see people saved, to see people. No, no, no. It's to get people to worship. It's to get people to worship correctly. You're going there to inform people on how to worship. 
And we see that as evident here with these shepherds. They're going off to worship here. Paul captures some of this truth in Romans 10. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And that's what the shepherds did. And all who heard it wondered at these things which were told them. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people wonder about this. But they don't believe. There's a lot of respecters of Christians, Christianity out there. A lot of respecters of Jesus out there. But they don't believe. You've got to take it further than that. Probably many of the people in that town of Bethlehem never, even if they saw Christ, they never actually came to faith. Um, the shepherds did, but they didn't come to faith. So we Christians join with those shepherds. One commentator closes with this. At the heart of the gospel, joy are the twin realizations that they are not the kind of people who deserve God's love. In fact, it turns out there aren't any kind of those people. But in his great love, God has sent his salvation to people just like us anyway. No wonder Christians have spent the past 2,000 years joining in the shepherds, glorifying and praising God for the things they have heard and seen. That's what we've been doing all morning. Isn't it amazing? 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this. We're still re And it never gets old, does it? It never gets old. So, like Mary, we should ponder these things in our heart. We should meditate upon these. We should enjoy them. This is the insulation against all those woes of life. Keeping your attention upwards towards Christ instead of on your own issues and on all your own problems. Phillips Brooks did a good bit of pondering here. Phillips Brooks wrote the hymn we, wrote, we sang earlier, O Little Town of Bethlehem. He was inspired as he went to those shepherds' field and looked at, uh, at Bethlehem uh, during the, the, the sun setting time. Then he attended a five-hour-long service of the Church of the Nativity in 1865. He wrote down this hymn, and then when he was with his congregation in Philadelphia, he asked Lewis Redner, who was the organist, to develop, develop a tune for the hymn. Lewis Redner went to bed that night and was, he said he was given a gift from God. He woke up knowing the tune, which is in our hymn book, known as St. Louis. There was a stanza that's left out of our hymn book and out of most hymn books, and it, and it closes with this. Where children pure and happy pray to the blessed child, where misery cries out to thee, son of mother mild, where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door, the dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. Amen. Merry Christmas. Father, we do, we just marvel at this truth. Lord, we just can't help but be emotional at times at the fact that we are so much like those shepherds. We are such need of salvation. We are in such need of our sins forgiven, Lord. And so often, as Christians, we're so disappointed in the way we walk. We are so moody and we're so bitter sometimes and we're dishonest and we're just filled with lusts and we wondered i've been a christian for years why do i still behave this oh god what would we be like without christ what kind of monsters would we have become have you not given us the holy spirit what kind of fretting anxiety would we had if we did not know our names were written in the book of life so lord 
even if we're old, let the magic of Christmas come alive as we ponder the truth of glory to God in the highest being sung by some of the lowest people on the planet. And let us join in that angel song until that day we get to see them face to face and be part of that choir. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.